Imagine two weeks at sea. No land, no people. Sleeping, eating, going to the bathroom and living on a boat that's heading to sea to fish sharks with five Indonesian fishermen. And only one speaks a little English. The boat is going to remote parts of Indonesia inaccessible by land or by tourists. It's going to kill as many sharks as possible and won't come back until it has. I ask you to go with me. Do you accept? Today I'm speaking to my friend Hunter Helton. 21 years old, born and raised in Pompano Beach, Florida. Hunter joined one of my trips in Indonesia with Project Hiu, where he demonstrated skills on the water and in flying a drone. When destined to leave for a fishing trip a few weeks later, I asked him to come with me. I needed help shooting and I needed a friend to get me through this grueling trip. Today we are going to share our experiences, our triumphs, and the little moments that either felt like hell or like the universe had our back. We'll talk about the wildlife we saw, the wildlife we killed, and the process it took to make the product of this trip, my short film, Bajak Laut of two weeks at sea with the Indonesian fishermen. We were going to document something never been done before, joining the fishermen on one of the trips that catches the sharks you see depicted in my images. No reception, never touching land, watching sharks being killed every day. A lot of people ask me why I went fishing with them. There are two reasons. The first is I aim to fully decommission this vessel from shark fishing one day and it is important for me to know exactly what I'm stopping and what these men go through on their fishing trips. The second is so that I could gather footage of these practices and the impact they have to connect the consumers in China with the reality of the effects of their trade, aiming to close the gap between them and the origin of their fins. Some of us are conservationists because we can afford to be, and some of us are shark fishermen because we can't afford not to be. Labelling them as anything other than hard-working family men is a mistake of someone ignorant, not someone who cares about sharks. To be effective, sometimes you have to put aside how things make you feel and to see the bigger picture, which serves no purpose or gain to one's own emotions, but can eventually lead to what the world needs, effective change and collaboration with our so-called enemies. These are things it took me years to understand, but imagine seeing it all for the first time. Seeing a dead shark for the first time, killed right in front of you. Imagine being brand new to such a thing. Hunter's side of things, his feelings and his first time witnessing sharks being killed has never been shared before. So today you'll be hearing from him. I want to tell the story through his eyes and to know what it was like for him. If you'd like to see the film, there are many places you can watch it. Vimeo, Instagram or Project Heyu's YouTube. The film is called Bajak Laut which translates to bad men of the sea. It's an insight like no other, to something no one's attempted before us, being on board a shark fishing boat. Well, good afternoon. What time is it in Florida right now? 3.31 p.m. Not too bad. Oh, we were meant to do this at 4. I'm early. No wonder you weren't ready. My bad. I don't know what time it is. That's all right. We have daylight savings here. Um, So, Hunter, the good old days, the days where we were shark fishermen. Do you remember those good old days? 
Oh, how could I not? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want to know, like, what was your initial feeling when I proposed to you that you joined me on that trip? The initial feeling? um, Curiosity, I think, at most. It, It was, I don't know. I obviously not ever having that experience before being on a wooden boat for two weeks. It's something I never knew what to think about. I mean, I don't really... They really have an idea of how it would go ever. So, <laughs> I mean, it's it was kind of just like a heart dropping moment where it was just like I not only the experience, but to be able to see what these guys do out there. It's just it's it's amazing and a huge step for you. And it was just something that I was very excited to be able to pursue with you. Did you at the time, did you understand like the gravity of what we were doing that nobody has ever done this before? Like we didn't know if it was safe or not and that we would be seeing as many dead sharks as we see or was it totally not what you expected? So, I mean, most of my education was coming from you right off the bat anyways. So it was just, you know, mostly coming from you and then obviously from my past of growing up as a fisherman as well. You know, I always have like a slight idea of what these guys would be doing. Um nonetheless you know how they would catch them but it's just I, I had an idea you know long lining in a sense and what it what it took and what it takes to to actually pursue and something like that but it, it was um i don't know it was quite an ex, uh quite a thought to have like i i personally think i can't imagine like you were just so willing but i just think of myself i'm like if some random just said to me like there's some random that i had also given money to to be on a trip with and then they were like, hey, come to see yeah. fish sharks for two weeks and fly your drone. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I, I mean, I'd want to do it for the experience too. The experience was something else, but it was it was tough. Well, an experience um, is something I couldn't, I, I couldn't relate it to anything. And it wasn't really so much of an experience to relate it to. It was just the fact of what it would do um, for the world in a sense, you know. And then kind of, you know, I don't, just to see how these guys actually work. Um, and what they have yeah. to do to prepare and then what it takes for them to spend the money and then what it takes for them to build these boats from scratch like they do. It's just, it's, it's not easy, you know, and I knew that from the start, it wasn't going to be easy for them anyways, but it's just something that people need to know that they do in order for that to be changed. It just needs to have awareness around there. Which is why we did it, right? Like the whole idea of us going was to raise awareness about everything they go through. Um, and to really document how difficult a fishing trip is. And personally, it was, like, more difficult than I anticipated. Like, do you remember just before we left and on the boat, and especially when we came back, just, like, the mood changed amongst all the fishermen, all the people that we'd spend the week with, that we were laughing with and playing football with, and they just, like, got into this intense headspace when they were fishing, like like they were prepared for anything. You know, Odie had a six day old daughter that he had to leave behind it was just i'd never seen them before in that kind mm, of setting no, no no especially when i was uh you know went to the last trip um the previous year and just seeing these guys have so much fun on the boats and their their attitudes and then just being full of heart you know not even speaking english and they can still connect with people you know beyond language it's just it was amazing and then seeing and experiencing them having that mood change before and then having them spend times with their family before it was just kind of like a real jaw dropping moment for for both of us to be able to see that yeah and you remember just before we left i remember cuz we actually spent like a week on the island before we left waiting for the weather to be perfect and i remember 
recording an interview with Odie and he said to me, itu um, in Indonesian, which means that fishing is dangerous. And then I was like, what's the most dangerous thing that's ever happened? Thinking that he'd be like, oh, there's big waves or something. And then, you know, when he was like, oh, a helicopter fired at my boat. <laughs> like it isn't a big deal. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, I see what's going to happen. We're going to go into illegal waters. Australian Navy is going to come pick up our boat and I'm just going to be on the boat like, hey, guys. <laughs> and a stranded American as well. And they're like, what the hell? <laughs> Yeah, I was like, if anybody does pick us up for illegally fishing. But, like, that's the intensity of it. And you remember him telling that story of the helicopter? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, that was, an, that was something that he had to have gone through. Yeah, so for our listeners, like, these boats, um, they often have to travel really far to fish because there's few sharks left in local waters. And sometimes this means going into marine parks or Australian waters or protected waters. So there was an incident where they actually got fired at by a helicopter, not on the boat, but like either side of the boat, just like as a kind of get out of here warning. But the way the fisherman described it to us was like, it was a commonplace thing, which was pretty crazy. Um, so Hunter, do you remember the one thing I want to bring up is is the like a, maybe a week into the trip because we didn't actually start fishing sharks until the second week, but maybe a week in, we were in the middle of the ocean in between these two islands and we had tied up to like a fad, a fishing aggregation device, and we were sleeping there overnight. And remember the bioluminescent jellyfish? I'll never forget that. I will. <laughs> I've never seen anything like that. The, in my um... life. Oh my god! Even on the bottom of the boat, everything that touches the water—this what was it? The um, it was the sea anchor that they had on the side, right? Constantly, every night they had a yeah. bow up or buoy onto something. They had to have a sea anchor in to keep them stable or head onto waves. Mm-hmm. So, the the jellyfish would hit the side of the boat, or hit, and and all the bioluminescence would hit the sea anchor, and then just go bright green. And, like, me and Hunter are a week in and being on this tiny boat and we're both, like, off the side of the boat with masks on. I think it would have been, like, 11 p.m. And we're just, like, screaming, like, oh, my God, you see this? It's, like, the coolest thing I've ever seen. And the fishermen must have just thought that we were the biggest kooks. <laughs> yeah, because they see that, like, every other day. <laughs> but that was so amazing. Like, I've never – I've seen – I've been at sea. I've crossed oceans, but I've never seen, like, life like that. So thick. It's like we were floating. Just the boat was on a cloud of just pure light. It was it was insane. <laughs> it was like being an avatar. That was one of the, the good days. And thank God we had a few of them, but there was a few days with rough weather. And I remember clinging onto the back of the boat and kind of holding on for dear life. Um, because, yeah, well, it was a lot less traumatic for you because I was clinging onto the back of the boat, this sketchy little wooden boat that didn't look like it was going to make it past a one-foot swell, and it was rocking side to side. And do you remember where you were? <laughs> Just sliding on the top. Sliding on the top of the roof every time a wave came. Just, like, on your back, just, like, treating it like a giant slip and slide. <laughs> like you're at a theme park while I'm on the back. Just saying my final goodbyes to everybody in my head, and you're like, "Woo!" You're just hanging on tight to the sides. <laughs> oh my god, it was so wet and slippery on top of there. It was it was almost nearly impossible to walk on the top deck. It, you know, that's obviously why I was sliding most of the part. It was fun, but <laughs> that's mostly why. I mean, these guys they have paint as like 
on the on the deck like it's something like it's slippery than it would be if it's just wood. Obviously, they had to yeah. probably cover it up to keep it more of a I mean, keep it more protected weather wise. But I mean, that like, did not help. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely slipped. They're they're fine with it. It was just like our first time. Yeah navigating it which you handled better than me and then in that rough weather you're like oh i've got an idea i'll put my drone up oh my yeah oh my gosh that was a chilling moment but yet so thrilling i mean that's the whole reason that i another reason that i wanted you to come is because you shoot incredible drone footage and for anybody listening in the actual film all the drone footage was shot by Hunter and the footage of the boat at sea and the footage of the sunsets and the footage of the kids running along the beach that's all Hunter's amazing drone stuff. Yeah, for the near uh, near crash experience from one of the <laughs> swells that we were filming on the beach. Oh, my God. From a near-dead battery. And then it just almost takes me and Odie's head off. You remember that? I remember that, yeah. So we've, we've now had to um, explain to our shark fishermen to never try catch a drone. <laughs> <laughs> and then you remember Manan just popping his head up in the boat and then seeing the drone and then just disappearing like they're so terrified of the drone which brings me to my next favorite moment because I was looking through my shots on my phone and I have all these shots of of me like filming you nearly crash the drone and I'm just kind of laughing and filming it um and then all the shots that we did filming the movie scenes so we took <laughs> We took a little um, clipboard, one of the slide boards for, that they use for movies, and we had the fishermen reenact scenes from our favorite films. And that was, without a doubt, my favorite part of the trip because we had a lot of time to kill. Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah, that was absolutely fun and thrilling, and they had a great time, great time reenacting it too. <laughs> they definitely did. Um, What's what films did we have them do? I know we had them do Jaws. Yeah, I know that for sure. Uh, that's hard to remember. There was, I think, a few that we tried to reenact, but the most I think was Jaws that we were trying to get. Huh? What do you remember? I just remember them loving it, and I remember them just like filming these movie scenes like legends, and it was just so funny. It was so funny, and then it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, like Bajo was like a like a Indonesian Matt Damon, and then Manan had no idea what was going on the whole time, and he was just laughing and watching us. And yeah, that was great. Oh my god, yeah, they did such a great job. For my listeners, one of my one of the shark fishermen that is now an employee of Project Here, his name is Manan, and he has two children, and he is an amazing ocean man like he has killed so many sharks in his lifetime I can't even imagine he was like he was like the real the real boss like he did all the work on the boat and mechanical yeah and he was pulling in all the lines and he still finds time to pray when he needs to like he's a very dedicated fisherman um who's thriving in tourism but Hunter you had in particular a special connection to Manan didn't you oh my ever since we played soccer together we were Manon was, I mean, he, his son was in the military too as well. So we had somewhat of a military-ish background. I mean, he was in the mil- in the army as well, wasn't he? Before, yeah. When he was young. Yeah. Um, But the connection with him was surreal. It was, I mean, never even spoke one word of English. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't speak a word of English and you two just got along so well. Yeah. Oh my God. 
Yeah, the connection. Oh my god, it's making me. <laughs> That's all coming back. And you guys dancing on the boat, and and him trying to teach you stuff, and it was really beautiful to see. He's such a hard worker too. It's just something, and then doing the push-ups as well, having a competition push-ups. I remember that you guys having a push-up competition. Oh my god, he does one-hand push-ups like it's nothing. I yeah. have never seen anyone do that, and he's these. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, such a strong guy, and doing mostly everything with the rigging. At least of what I was seeing, he was doing most of the long-line rigs and working on the mechanical side of the on the boat. When everything, if there was a problem, it would be the guy that would be under the boat working on the engine. Yeah, so smart. He he's amazing. He was probably like one of the hardest to crack because he's been fishing for so long. And I think just you being on that trip really, like, he really, really enjoyed it for that. It was really beautiful to see. Um, I think the hardest thing about the trip was how mentally taxing it became after a while. And we were just day in, day out filming dead sharks. And do you remember when we pulled our first dead shark up and what that was like for you? (sighs) It was kind of like we, we were both trying, you know, so hard to hide our emotions to really kind of get what we wanted, you know, the, you know, within filming. And it's just, you know, it really didn't sink in until probably a few weeks after the trip was even done. You know, it was just kind of like we kind of both stored it away so, so fast. It was just we were there for one purpose and just to see what these guys were doing when they were shark fishing. So when we both were filming, it was just kind of like our eyes were just on the camera. It wasn't really something to really have. Yeah, and we were lucky to have that because that distracted us. It really, really did, I think, mostly the entire time. And then when we weren't filming, the guys would just be so great to connect to. It was just everything would kind of push it back further to where we wouldn't feel the actual emotion. At least that was for me. No, it was legit so difficult because you'd be just like, watching them kill sharks all day and really struggling with that. And then at the end of the day, like if I wasn't eating, they'd like make me food and be like, what's wrong? And they'd make sure you put a pillow under your head when you fall asleep, take such good care of you. But at the same time, you watch them kill sharks. Like it was so hectic. You know, it was, it was actually, it, now that I remember, you know, the amount of food that we we're eating, we needed to eat so much because, you know, I was constantly getting hungry, constantly. And it, yeah. we were on a what, like 30 something foot boat. I mean, it's not much room, but we were constantly eating because of everything that was happening mentally. I feel like it was just a lot. Just yeah, it just drained us both. Just to see that and have that even happen right in front of our eyes, you know. Describe for me what it was like when we kept pulling up tiger sharks. You know, it came to a point to where we just knew what was being pulled up. It was, it was just. Every hook after the other was just tiger shark after tiger shark. And we, you remember when we were trying to talk to Odie about seeing if he could change the uh, the line system because all the hooks were on the bottom, and I presume to that's why we were catching so many tigers. Yeah, we were just we were we knew we were there to witness them fishing, but we wanted them to not be catching tigers after tiger because tigers aren't actually they don't make them a whole lot of money and they were catching big female tiger sharks and it was like quite horrific for us to have to watch that and um i I think we found out basically what we learned was why they were setting the bottom hooks was to catch the sharks that were highly um valued in the fin trade do you remember when they caught the shovel nose ray 
or you guys might know it as a guitar shark. So um, they actually are so highly valued in the shark fin trade and they have to spend a lot of their time on the bottom, on the ocean floor. So they caught one of them, only one the whole time, and they made such a fuss about it, they tied a rope around its tail even when it was on the boat dead because they just didn't want it to get away. I remember that. So, like, they they, they know what's going to get the money and they're trying to get that so they can get home as quickly as possible. But, yeah, I know there are um, there are some things that we saw as well on that trip that we can't talk about um, to protect our fishermen, but you saw a lot of horrific stuff when it comes to killing marine life that you'd never seen before. And I know that for you that was a mental challenge. It's um, It was different than the way I was raised and, you know, at least new life in the ocean. You know, there were some things that I usually wouldn't do because I just believed that it wasn't right. And then these guys just seeing them doing it and then not even wanting to do it, just only doing it because that's how they get paid. It was, uh, you know, and it's. It's really, it wasn't like it was even heartless for them. They're just doing it because that's just the only way they get paid. So they just one after the other. Yeah, that's the biggest thing as well as like most people would be like assuming that these fishermen go out there to to catch sharks and that they, they love it and they love killing sharks and they love what they do. What would you say to those people after you've actually witnessed it? Mm, they don't love any of it. They've, <laughs> I mean, before we even went on the boat, they were complaining. Before we even stepped foot <laughs> on the boat, they were complaining. And yeah. it's it's total BS to people that think that even on the, I've you know me growing up in South Florida and being surrounded a fishing community and then not believing that, but yet seeing the film and having someone that I've actually lived through that. It's just you know I I'm gonna be as honest as I can and just say that these guys do not want to do this kind of work and it's not easy. And seeing sharks actually be killed, it's. I, I know it takes a toll on them too as well. You know, death of any kind for any human being, I think wouldn't be right for them to experience, especially to get paid for it as well. Well, they do like have, Indonesians have such a strong connection to the ocean and they've been thriving and surviving off it for so long. And it was amazing to watch that side of things. It was amazing to watch them catch and eat fish. But it's very clear when they're catching sharks that that is just, for money they have no desire to eat them no desire to do anything else other than catch them so that they can be exported and it's very clear to see that and then when they're catching sharks and pulling them over the side of the boat the biggest emotion i got of them was fear they didn't want to be hurt by the sharks um they really just didn't want to be there even catching them or handling them or anything no i mean and they weren't even protecting themselves i mean Obviously, I mean, even with Bajo, when he got caught from the Wahoo and he got cut on the, oh my God. I believe it was the ankle or I think the foot, right? Yeah. So guys, our fishermen get injured all the time. They pull up sharks with their bare hands. Um, sharks sometimes get on the boat, thrash around, cut things. They, they get injured. So one of our fishermen caught, what was it, a Wahoo? Yeah, it's Wahoo. Yeah, so they're catching these fish to bait for sharks as well because they don't have any bait. And he caught this beautiful wahoo. And the teeth of a wahoo can be quite dangerous with the bacteria in it, if I'm not mistaken. And it sliced open the foot of one of our fishermen, like basically took off one of his toes. And, of course, I'm the only one that had a first aid kit that I brought for these accidents. So I was, like, rushing around to try and stop the bleeding and wrap it up. And Bajo, the fisherman whose foot 
was cut, was like so confused with my attentiveness to his wound. And I'll never forget a few days later. Do you remember what he put on his wound? Mm, oh, no, I don't. I know. <laughs> no? Okay. This is so funny. So I'm. he pulls out this little bottle, I kid you not, of like shark liver oil, like stinky, gross shark liver oil that has been in the sun that he's gotten out of one of the sharks and puts it on his finger and starts dressing his wound with it. And I just like, Bajo, no, like that's the worst <laughs> possible thing you can rub into an open wound that you're trying to keep clean. And I remember watching this and just being like, why am I wasting my band-aids on you people? <laughs> oh my God. I do remember that. The stench. <laughs> That was really funny that he did that. Um, but that's kind of a minor injury compared to to what usually happens. Yeah, and I think they said that the first week, usually they try to catch more bait than they do shark fishing the second week just to try to yeah. all that they can. I mean, they only have a limited amount of space to bring what they can from the island. But the entire yeah. week, they're catching marlin. I mean, remember the first two days where they were using yo-yos? So they, yeah, using were- yo-yos to catch. And they're hooking like 50 to 80 pound, 100 plus marlin. And then there's just, there's so much craziness on the boat. And that's within the first two or three days of them even starting to fish. So it's it's crazy. Yeah. And the amount of fish that we were catching around Sumba too, on the island when we were swinging around to the shark fishing grounds, the amount of fish that were over there was crazy, which is kind of insane to see, you know, how many sharks were there with how much fish. It was just definitely off. It wasn't right. There, there, on the way there, one of the things I noticed was how depleted the water was because we were fishing and fishing and fishing and basically not catching anything. And I just thought that that was kind of crazy. Yep. Not even that much shit too, uh, which was insane. Yeah. So Indonesia's waters are, are very heavily fished. Um, and for the people that maybe don't know the size of the sharks that we're getting, Hunter. Um, how tall are you? 6'3". You're a pretty tall dude. Yeah. Um, main reason I took you on the boat so you could reach your top shelf <laughs> and ca- catch drones and see what, what the weather's going to be. Um, and some of the sharks we were getting were like your size, like if you laid down next to them. It's bigger. I mean, the shark that we caught was 11 foot. It was just... Seeing them try to even get it in the boat, I mean, it was such a process. I remember filming it on the drone and the 24, 25-minute battery, I mean, I was, it was just all one shark of them getting it into the vessel. It was insane, the process it took to get them inside the boat, you know, none of less fishing. Yeah. Yeah, it's difficult and it's it's a lot. I remember that. Um, and, make, and it's like dead. five of them and they take a while to die. Um that was a hard thing too. Every time we, we thought a shark was dead and we'd walk past it on the boat and it would just like, its eye would move a little bit. I mean, even an hour after. Yeah. And then we would go to such remote parts of Indonesia and cut, process the shark so that there was space for them in the boat. And remember when we threw, they threw the shark liver overboard and do you remember how I was like, I need to go in the water and, and swim. And Odie's like, no, you can't because there's crocodiles because <laughs> they're always joking with us. I was like, no, there's not. Stop making stuff up just so that I can't do stuff. And then two minutes later, 
There's a giant crocodile eating this shark liver that just washed up on the beach and we filmed it on the drone and that thing was huge. Huge. Oh my god, he was humongous. Didn't come anywhere near the boat, thank god, but he was not small. Yeah. Not small. And we were only swimming to get, uh, you were getting footage only like, what, a quarter mile north of that beach. Yep, and I I just wanted to get in the water so I could poop. <laughs> And then, and then, like, crocodiles were getting in the way of that because, like, no joke, guys, for two weeks I probably pooped, like, three times because it took way too much upper body strength to cling onto the side of the boat and expose bare cheeks to the ocean. This, this is a, um, a very extensive podcast, Hunter. We tell all here. Um, but, like, the process of going to the bathroom off the boat was the funniest thing ever. Yeah, it was... <laughs> I mean, they built a ladder, thank God. Otherwise, we would have to kind of, you know, um, I don't even know how we would. <laughs> yeah. Us and our first world problems, they were just like so used to it. And I was just like clinging onto the side of the boat, praying that the wave doesn't bring anything back up at me. I've never um, once used the bathroom. I think that's how good they are and how fast they are. For once. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was just, yeah, it was it was a learning process for us. Um I remember as well, halfway through the trip, Mowgli, who's one of our fishermen, his real name is Sam, but we call him Mowgli because he looks like Mowgli. And do you remember when he started singing? Mm. Of course. He has the most, he's like a rock star, he has the most beautiful voice. Um, so I actually have a recording of his singing that I'm going to play for you now. Um, I used it in the film. I recorded it on Zoom. After he started singing halfway through the trip, I had the song stuck in my head and I just absolutely loved this song and the way that he sang it. And this is a little clip of him singing that song. Molly sing? What? Okay. One, two, three. Kalau cinta sudah dibuang, jangan harap keadilan akan datang. Kesedihan hanya tontonan. Bagi mereka yang diperbudak jabatan Oh oh ya oh ya oh ya bongkar Oh oh ya oh ya oh ya bongkar Sabar 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 dan tunggu Itu jawaban yang kami terima Ternyata kita harus ke jalan Rokokan setan yang berdiri mengangkang Oh oh ya oh ya oh ya bongkar Oh oh ya oh ya oh ya bongkar Penindasan Serta kesewenang-wenangan Banyak lagi Teramat banyak Bisa disesalkan 
Hentikan Hentikan jangan diteruskan Kami bertanya Tolong jawab aku dengan cinta Oh, oh. Okay, thank you When you're on the boat, did any of the fishermen tell you any cool stories? Well, only Odi could really try to express a story, if any. Um, but I mean, all the stories were kind of just being lived in the moment within the, uh, well, I guess, ah, Odi trying, uh, I think Odi, um, being in uni, in university, and him explaining the fact of, uh, how he was raised and brought into the, well, his family was shark fishermen regardless, but how he started fishing in the shark fin industry anyways. Yeah, tell, tell me, explain that to my, to my listeners. He, uh, he was studying in university and he actually knows a little bit of English due to actually being in the university. And he was studying for, I think it was just over a year, am I right? Or just under or above two years. It wasn't much. Uh, yeah, I think he was like in the term three of what he was meant to do. Which is, I mean, the amount of English he knows now is outstanding. But he, um, his father passed and wasn't able to actually help him uh, or pay for his university or his education. So he had to go back into actually shark fishing again. Um, and that's what he's been doing almost ever since because that's the only thing he knows how to do. Yeah. So I've actually got like a tiny bit of the interview in the film. And like we were, we were filming him at the time and me and Hunter are just listening to him tell this story like, wow. So he was in university, he's learning three languages. Like he learned Arabic, Chinese, and English. And he just couldn't afford to be there after his dad died. He couldn't afford to be in university and support the family, which was now his job. So he went back into shark fishing. And he told us before he went to university, his father said to him, I don't want you to be a shark fisherman. I want you to have a better life. So you have to go to university. Mm. And that was just an unreal story. And that, that's when it really hit home for us, I think, when we were just like, wow. Like, imagine your only option is to repetitively be at sea fishing. Like, no wonder they want to do tourism. And the part of the film when he said it would make his dad happy if he did tourism instead of shark fishing. And he immediately just goes, yes. Yeah. And it was straight from his heart. That was special. Yeah. And then we had a big dance party. Big. Huge dance party. <laughs> I feel like everybody just went a little bit crazy by the end of the trip. <laughs> it looked like wild tribes on the top deck of the boat, just singing, dancing, clapping, and it was just, <laughs> it was, it was amazing. These guys, and the music that they were playing <laughs> when they were playing cards. Oh my god! And we were trying to like you know sleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like we were trying to sleep at like what one a.m. and they were playing cards loud and just. <laughs> I think they, I don't know if they played Katy Perry, but they played a lot of different songs. I know they played, um, I think it's ACDC, Thunderstruck. <laughs> yeah, they have a, an interesting taste in music, I will admit that. Um, you observed better than anyone, because it was only the two of us and all them on the boat, all the ways in which they made sure that they took care of me. Um, explain a few of them for people. Oh, each fisherman played their role on how they cared for you and protected for you. I mean, Mowgli, even when in, you were in rough waves and we were just trying to maneuver around the boat, Mowgli was just 
wrapping you in between his arms to make sure that you were stable and weren't going anywhere. And that, to me, was outstanding. It was amazing to be able to see an experience. And Odie just constantly just giving you food like you've never eaten before. <laughs> Left and right. Yeah. Just feeding you. And Manan as well, who was ma- mainly the cook, I think, was oh, the only cook on the boat, I believe. It. Well, everyone would partook in it. But um, yeah. the safety that they have for you and making your bed every night and <laughs> making sure you're warm and comfy. And then just, uh, I mean, it was like better than a five-star hotel, if you ask me. The comfortability. It really was. It really, really was. And the hospitality and everything. On top of them having their job, you know, within fishing for these sharks and surviving their own self and then having them worry about you so much was just a huge heartwarming moment for me. It really, really was. (laughs) So much love. Which is, for me, like, the biggest part that I try to convey in the film is just, like, I want people to fall in love with the fishermen as we did, which was so weird. We're like, we're there watching these men kill sharks. And then by the end of it, I want to save all the sharks, but I want to save them as well. You know, and that's such a difficult thing to, to grasp, but that's truly how it feels. They treated us like family. Like the, the fact that we were able to go on the boat with them, like they let us do that. Like that alone is just unreal. Right. I mean, <laughs> Oh, my God. And mostly exciting. They never had anything like that happen before. They were always just out there for one job and one purpose only. And then having us go out there with them, it must have been somewhat, I'm sure, fun for them. Um, But it was just. They were definitely, it was definitely weird for them because they, when I tried to explain to them, I was like, I want to come fishing with you. They were like, what? (laughs) Like, I think they took them a while to figure out and you know it was a huge risk for them we were filming them do crazy stuff and like they knew that we could do anything with that footage so for them to trust us with that too what was the most difficult part of the trip for you out of everything oh this question ah you know it i think the only thing that was difficult for me was experiencing these sharks being pulled overboard. I've experienced them and swam with them and dove with them on the reefs and see them freely. But now having them come left and right over the boat was the most difficult, difficult experience. You know, that was, that was the only thing that was making it hard for me was the amount of death of these sharks just coming over left and right for about six to seven days, a week straight. You know, and how did you deal with it? How did you cope with it? How did I cope? <laughs> Filmed more. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, uh, it was kind of like I wasn't there. I wasn't really present uh, at those moments. You know, I was subconsciously moving and trying to actually not really, you know, process what I was seeing. You know, at least at that time or at that moment. Um, but that the, the the most difficult time was seeing them and seeing the sharks and then seeing the fishermen being affected about these sharks and then them obviously having it be on the boat and the stink, you know, as well. Obviously, we'd get used to it with being next to it so often. Yeah, we slept on the container where they kept the sharks. Yeah, and ate lunch and your Snickers where we hid them inside the icebox as well. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um. Yeah, we did take a good a good stash of snacks on the boat. Um, would you do it again? Um, go out with these guys shark fishing? 
No. No. No? no. You wouldn't do it again? No, I'm not unless there was a sole purpose for change that was behind that. I that's the only thing that would make me go on this boat again. I there wouldn't be any other reason to. Wouldn't be any other reason. Nonetheless for them. Right. That's that's the whole thing is like we don't want to put them through that again. Um, and then, you know, people they do get questions like why why did you go witness that? And like for me it was the, the biggest thing. Did, did people question that for you? Oh, yeah. They were delirious about it. They really didn't understand, you know, why we were actually going out there. I was getting that question often after they were watching the film, which was really outstanding to me. And what were you going to say? Just like, I got the same thing. People are like, why are you going to witness that? Like, why are you doing that? Like, it's so cruel, blah, blah, blah. And for me, it's just like, I am a privileged white person, you know, that I've come into this village to try and get them to stop fishing sharks. How am I going to do that without having any idea of what fishing sharks is or what they go through? And the other reason I wanted to do that is because I wanted to know where and how they're catching the sharks so that we could use those areas for another purpose. Like if those fishermen can pull up 12 tiger sharks in the span of a few days, imagine how many we could swim with. Mm. And we discovered a lot on that trip. We did. And I saw my first sunfish and started crying. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love sunfish so much. <laughs> oh, that was the best moment ever. That was worth it just for that. Um, <laughs> Hunter, I have one last thing to bring up, which is really amazing after this, but I want to ask you, like, what was the most memorable part of the trip for you? The most memorable part was the trip um, on the way back to the island or to the market. It was, it was, I think, the best part, I believe. For, for like everyone. when we were done fishing and when we were heading home. Exactly. It was just kind of like everyone was on the same page. The job was done. They pretty much had whatever they, I mean, they had to go get paid, but everything was kind of like the energy and everything was just low and everything was just kind of settled. It wasn't really high to where it was so emotional, but we were all happy to, to be able to get back onto land. I'm very sure of it, but that was the best part <laughs> for everyone. Yep. I agree. We we're also happy to go home. And then. Odie to see. There was, Tip. Yeah. Odie to see his brand newborn daughter. He didn't want to leave. And then. I'll never forget this, but when we did get back, we had to unload the sharks off the boat and take them to the market. Now, the market is what you guys will have seen all the pictures of on my Instagram. A lot of people go there. A lot of conservationists have been there. Um, most just to film. Most don't talk to the fishermen, and they just go and take pictures of all the catch they bring in because it's a very easy place to film dead sharks, which is just crazy. Um and that's where we were actually taking the sharks and it was so strange to rock up on the fishing boat. I think half the village was like, what is going on when we rocked up on the boat? And I will never forget this one moment where they had all the sharks in the water and I was desperately trying to film them from in the water and Hunter just started, I hear the drone. Hunter grabbed the drone without me even asking and started to film and that is the most famous drone shot that I own. And in the film, 
it's the most eerie drone shot. I'm actually looking at it now and you can see dead bodies of sharks submerged in the water and you can see six, seven, seven tiger sharks and I'm just in the middle of all of them trying to film them and you've got this slow motion drone shot that's just backing out and it's just the saddest, most insane scene that really captures everything that we went through the whole time is that drone shot. And that was just one of the times where I was like, the universe has our back because you just went and filmed that and I didn't even know you were filming it and it ended up to be like one of the most moving shots that I have. I have a picture in my mind and it's, (laughs) I mean, the watercolor. I'm sure you remember how gray and dark it was. I mean, and it was only inches deep at times. Oh, It just looked like death. That's the best way for me to describe. Nothing in that water. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. That's where sharks come to die. Um, so that was a really amazing drone shot. And then after they sold all the sharks, I remember seeing them all sitting at the table and they looked the saddest I have ever seen them. Because usually they're so upbeat and they're fine, but they just looked sad. And they basically were sitting at this table and had just spent two weeks at sea, had just used so much fuel, so much power, so much energy, and they made from all those sharks, all the huge tiger sharks, about 600 Australian dollars to split between the five of them for that two weeks of work. And I'll never forget seeing them sitting there after they had gone through this and brought their catch in and just the looks on their faces and just thinking to myself, like, wow, I'll never forget that particular moment. No. No. The moment we find out how much they get paid, <laughs> it changed everything, at least. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> in debt, all that just to be in debt. And just like after what we saw them go through, it seems like such a small amount to be paid after that. I mean, the, <laughs> nonetheless, being... So long out there in the ocean and just trying to survive and then having that. I mean, it's never going to be, it's never going to be an easy life, you know, constantly doing that. It's wow. And this is one boat that we've been able to help through Project HU, but imagine all the others, like there's more than 50 boats here that have to do this. Not only is that so many sharks that get killed, but that's just so many fishermen that deserve a better life. and. Like that's a huge part of of everything is 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 trying to bring a better life to the men. Well, yeah, which they want so much of. They <laughs> they don't want to do that anymore. No, many how many times they told us on the boat and just showing us their, their hands from constantly bringing in the lines of the long lines and constantly getting hurt. It's just why would they, they know that there's another way to do things and through tourism. They just I know they're so happy for that. Yeah. Well, that's the important thing that we got to keep going so that we never have to witness them fishing sharks again because I certainly don't want to rush back there and film that anytime soon. But I'm glad we did it. We learned a lot. We saw a lot. And thank you so much for capturing all the drone shots that you did. Yeah, of course. Of course. Just doing the best I could for you because you've done so much already. 
So and there's so much more to be done with with everything that you've got planned. And I'm so so very excited for you. Thanks, Andre. Change and everything else that's coming along with it, even such through a hard year, 2020, and all the progress that you've gone through the project as well. It's nothing that's going to stop you. There's nothing. I promise the next time I ask you to join me on a trip, it won't be a shark fishing trip that's really horrific. (laughs) (laughs) I promise the boat that we're on will have a toilet. (laughs) But thank you for joining. And for anybody that wants to watch the film, you can find it on Vimeo, you can find it on the Project Here YouTube, or you can find it on my Instagram. And there's links to Hunter's Instagram on there as well. And you can see that infamous drone shot and all the experiences that we had with our amazing fishermen that we cannot wait to get back and see again who have not fished sharks now for an entire year. So thank you for listening and Hunter, thank you for coming along and, and sharing your experience. Oh, thank you. Thank you for bringing me here and bringing all that back, all the love from the guys. It's really good to actually have that in. It's such a huge smile on my face right now. <laughs> sorry, sorry to spark all that traumatic memory about all the other stuff as well. Yeah, you know, I just try to forget that stuff. You know, just all the happiness and the love part. That stuff's better. <laughs> yeah, focus on that. Yeah. All right. Bye, Andre. Thank you, Maddie. Bye. We'll be right back.